Hello and welcome podcasts to episode 13. In this episode, Stephen and I are discussing constructive criticism. To be honest, I really enjoyed this conversation. It may be my favorite so far. First of all, I like the fact that we discussed feedback and criticism. And Stephen makes it very clear that you shouldn't confuse the two. Something I've been doing for yeah, too many years. Then we get an understanding of why delivering constructive criticism well is so important. And then we get a step-by-step guide on how to do it. And I do like the step-by-step guides. There are many interconnecting messages in our conversations. And one massive one for me was having that clarity of intent when you're going into the constructive criticism conversation. Um, The seven steps that follow make so much sense when you've got that starting position correct. So remember, criticism is a sharp knife. Use it wisely and constructively. As always, if you've anything you'd like to share with us, please email us at podcast at coachpro.online. I'll be back at the end with some admin. Um, But I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Here comes the cheesy music. So we'll start off because we, we're on a Zoom call. Our microphones are on. Constructive criticism. In recent times, it's been hard to give too much feedback on someone's performance because as you said, sometimes a six is good enough. How do we start to give people feedback that their performance isn't good enough? Is that what constructive criticism is? Feedback that their performance isn't good enough? I, I would say not. Start. <laughs> yeah, the, the, and, and, but it's a common question and it's a challenge and I get this challenge most places in the world where I do this on constructive criticism can we just call it feedback? Well, you can if you really don't want it to have any impact. But if you want it to have impact, if you want it to drive better performance, then it is a criticism. But it's a constructive criticism. Feedback is often not very constructive. But because it's been softened to be called feedback, it's expected that people will take it a little bit easier. And in providing feedback, you maybe don't need to do it so well. It just needs to be kind of accurate. Uh, Whereas criticism, you're going to have to take a little bit more care in how you provide that criticism to make sure that it's constructive because it's either going to be constructive or destructive. Whereas people have this comfort of, or the perceived comfort that feedback's feedback. And it's kind of, it will go a little bit good or a little bit bad, but it's in that range of acceptability. Whereas criticism, you really need to be careful with criticism, but you can get a very positive return from that or a very negative return from it. So you need to be on your game with it. So you see them as different then. So as I, then I'm guilty of this then, as I think of feedback as a gentler, a gentler word for criticism. I don't think it's a gentler way of delivering criticism. But but you're saying is, well, it has to be almost. 
Well, you, you, you'll be confident to provide feedback on almost anything, but you'll be more considered and thought through if you're going to provide criticism. So actually criticism is, is a more dangerous word, which actually means it's a bit like if you're in a kitchen, you've got a super sharp knife, you'll treat it with more care and consideration and it will do the job better than if you're there with a blunt spoon. And you'll be more professional with it. You'll be more considered. You'll take the time to prepare. It's the same as with the people who you know it's difficult to have conversations with. You'll take a little bit more time to prepare, whereas some of your people you're most comfortable with don't always get the best out of you because you haven't prepared and you're not really trying hard enough. I like that. So criticism is something that isn't for every conversation. It's for those conversations where you're looking to provide information and support and context to improve something, to improve performance, because you trust that there's a better performance to be had. And that's what makes it constructive rather than just criticizing to bring someone down. It's criticizing to help them build themselves up. Well, we've got a lot to unpack there. First of all, I love the fact then that actually you're embracing the harshness of criticism. That that's to keep us sharper in dealing with it. I think that's well. If you think in these days, Warren, there's this with social media. You're getting feedback all the time, feedback on everything, feedback on things you're not even interested in, but you're going to get the feedback anyway. And everybody's got an opinion on you, like or even if they didn't press like. So there's feedback continually on absolutely everything. And constructive criticism is a sharp knife. It is to help cut through all that clutter, all that noise, all that distraction, all that pointless opinion, and straight through to the things that matter, the things that would make a difference. It's why it's so valuable now, more than ever before, to help cut through to the things that matter. Yeah, that's great. I've got 20 years then I've got to unwind is I was taught formative feedback is better word than constructive criticism, but now I'm going to unwind that. And maybe it was right at the time, but I think you're right. Feedback was a a rarer thing 20 years ago than it was now. Okay. So criticism then is, oh, sorry, constructive criticism. And I think it's important that you keep putting these two together for, for the right reasons. So it's, Providing information, support, and context designed to improve the performance. And I think this is the key one because you can see that the performance can be better. I mean, that that last sentence is a beauty. If you're delivering constructive, if you're delivering criticism to somebody and they can see that you believe that they can be better you are only going to see that as constructive criticism, aren't you? It's not going to be that wound. It's going to be something which makes you better. That's lovely. Well, construction is to build. Yes. And destruction is to pull apart. And so it goes one way or the other, which is why it's important to do it really well, which is why if you're not equipped or not ready or not aware, don't go playing the sharp knives. Yes. Okay. All right. So it's not feedback. It's more impactful than feedback can be. Okay. 
So why has he got such a bad rap then? Why, if I talk about constructive criticism, I mean, it does seem that it's seen as something which can be quite negative. Is that just because criticism, if it isn't delivered constructively, is has to be is a bad thing on its own? I mean, what? Well, look, um, criticism is sharp. Yeah. It's either going to cut through in the positive or it's going to cut through in the negative. Most people have a fear of criticism because they've had a negative experience with it. Yeah. Because if it's not done well, it can make things worse. And that's why most people will avoid it or have a fear for it or can we not take the edge off it a little bit? Can we put a little guard on it to kind of blunt it just in case it goes wrong? There's a fear aspect of it. You're 100% right. That makes sense. And a lot of that fear is based upon previous experience. Most people who provide criticism don't provide it well enough because they don't understand what constructive criticism looks like. They perceive constructive the, the constructive part of criticism to mean valid, evidenced, honest, accurate. Constructive is the manner in which it's delivered, and it's the intent behind the delivery of it. Are you looking to build or are you looking to pull apart? And unfortunately, most people think constructive criticism is justifying why they're about to pull someone apart because they need to know, because they need to hear this. And then it's up to them to do something about it. Whereas constructive criticism is let's build because I believe something better can be built. What would be the difference then between those two approaches? They, they feel quite the same in a way. I'm just about to say something really bad to you. There's a really good reason for it. Seems like, as you're saying, that's more like valid criticism, but that's not necessarily constructive criticism. So just because you're right doesn't make it constructive. You get those people who say, I'm going to tell you how it is. They believe they're being constructive because they're, pinpointing a fault or something you're doing you know not as well as you could do that isn't constructive it may be accurate it may be valid but it's not constructive got it okay that's interesting so sometimes people believe that because their criticism is right it makes it justified no because if it's not constructive what you're saying is it will be destructive and it's the difference between saying this person needs to know what they're doing is not good enough. Yeah. And being able to say this person needs to understand they're capable of doing a lot better. That's great. That's such an important one, isn't it? You're not just putting a mirror up to them and just saying is look at you. You're just like, look at what you could be. And that's and that feels such a positive, beautiful statement. Imagine if when someone was talking to you, you genuinely believe that they thought and they looked at you and they said, I know that you are somebody bigger and better and not in a demeaning way, not in like a Cinderella way, but in just a way of just, this is, this is okay, but you could be great. Or, you know, you're good today. I believe you could be great. Yeah. Okay. So the intent of what you do. You're not just trying to be honest. You're not just trying to sort of say accurate. You're going in there with an intent to build this, to give this person actionable advice, a roadmap. I mean, how, how detailed does it need to be? Well, there's, there's ways of going through this. And, and I think unless you're going to be constructive with it, just provide feedback. Uh, unless you're going to be constructive, don't go for the criticism. Okay. 
And you don't need to prepare too much for that other than it being valid and accurate because it's not going to really go anywhere anyway. But if it's for something that needs to go beyond just we need to know to actually this needs to be better, then that's when you you look and say, well, how do I do constructive criticism? And how do I do it really well? Okay. And like all of these things, it starts off with the mindset first, then the strategy, and then your measurement of performance. Some people will just jump straight into the strategy. There's ways of doing this. The first thing is you've got to be in the right mindset. Why am I actually doing this? What is it I'm aiming for? What is the outcome I'm going for? All that emotional management, beginning with the end in mind, all the things we've talked about in other conversations. Yeah. So that you know your intent is clear. Correct. And therefore you can provide that context to that person this is why I'm having this conversation with you. Yes. It would be a lot easier not to have this conversation with you. And if I didn't think you were capable of more, it wouldn't be fair to have this conversation with you. That's great. But this is why I really want to have this conversation with you. Okay, so so just to pull that out then. So be self-aware, be aware of what your own intention is in this conversation. So again, as you said, what's the outcome you're looking for? How do you want this person to be feeling, to be thinking, etc.? So the, all of that intelligent stuff you're bringing to the party. So once I understand that my intent is good, so that's step one. You know, and I like these steps, so I can write them down and stick them on a post-it. So step one: make sure my intent is good and positive. Okay, then. And you're clear you want to, you'll know it's positive if you know you want to get somewhere. If it's just to point out something that's a flaw, but not have an idea where you want it to go to, all you're doing is providing feedback. So the criticism is, first of all, you being clear in the context, the reasons why you're doing this and where you want it to get to. And then being able to provide that context with the other person so that they know where this is coming from. This is coming from a good place. It's coming from a constructive place. It's coming from a place where expecting to see better things to happen as a result so that you're not just having this conversation that the other person doesn't know whether this is constructive or not or whether they're actually going to be expected to make things better. Maybe they've just to suck it up, batten down the hatches, get through the storm of the conversation, and then hopefully they can avoid it from then on in. You tell them. And certainly with constructive criticism, one of the key things you will notice and one of the big benefits you get from this, two of the biggest benefits organizations in particular get from this. First of all, there is a point to it. So it goes somewhere. So you don't have that circular conversation where I'm not going to speak to you, but your time keeping again, Warren, we've spoken about this five times already. It's to the point where I can't have that conversation with you anymore because nothing changes. So then we stop having that conversation because it's become circular. It's not going anywhere. And the second benefit of the clear benefit of this, particularly in organisations, is that what then happens if you and I have a circular conversation, we have to escalate it. And we have to continually to escalate it because we never actually dealt with it. And because it wasn't dealt with, we end up in an escalation process and we end up in disciplinaries and we end up in a whole load of things that could have been dealt with at the source. The cause could have been dealt with. But because we didn't deal with the cause, the symptoms became many. And with constructive criticism, you have a point to the conversation and you actually get to the cause. Yeah, that's really strong. 
it feels a little bit like when we talked about questions in coaching is sometimes when you're delivering criticism is it is it for your own benefit are you looking to impress yourself with how smart my accurate and valid criticism is or am I genuinely looking to help the other person be impressive and yeah kind of have these David Brent moments sometimes during our chats where you think oh no I've really done that too many times you know and you can feel your toes curling yes even when I've tried to deliver criticism well sometimes because I'm accurate because I'm right I think that's a justification of whatever I'm going to say next and that's and that obviously isn't right yeah well look and and We've had previous conversations on the topic of collaboration. Yeah. Constructive criticism is a collaborative process. Yes. So it requires both of us. It's not something you do to someone. It's something you do it for them and with them. That's that's really great, isn't it? I do think there's that that for them, with them. I really get a feeling of, you know, a genuine feeling of, of love and support and nurturing, which is you don't really take into mind nowadays because of the way the constructive criticism you know, brand is, is built. As you said, this can be a really wholesome, good, positive, amazing building experience done well. Okay, so I go in, I know, you know, I know I'm there to help the other person be impressive and not to be impressive myself. What's the first things I do? There's seven golden rules of constructive criticism. As, as most good frameworks have, they have components and there's an order with those components. Okay. And there are seven. And if you stick to these seven and you do these seven in order, you will get the optimal outcome out of this. Okay. So much so that with having a framework that you can be confident in, you will genuinely go and look for the opportunities to provide constructive criticism rather than treating it as something that you avoid at all costs, but when when all else fails, then you have to step in and tell them it as it is. You will actually go looking for opportunities for this because it will move the relationship to a place that it can't go to without having done this. Wow, that's that's a big, bold statement. I'm going to... I'm going to be so confident and so and so enamored by constructive criticism. My wife doesn't know what's coming. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you probably do those, but uh, <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, not every conversation is a constructive criticism, but I get it. I start to see the point. Like you, like we talked about collaboration uh, a couple of episodes ago, and when you really start to understand that the you talk about this isn't an outcome. It can form the catalyst of an ongoing beneficial relationship. You kind of, the way that you're talking about this, that if you set this context up correctly and people can also talk to you in that way. I mean, we all know we're not the finished article. We all know there are things that we can build on and improve on ourselves and and things we know we can help other people do. If you're able to create that environment where people are able to give you positive criticism constructive criticism and you're able to do the same whether this is with a very personal relationship or slightly outside of that in any professional relationship this has got to be a gorgeous flywheel hasn't it well if if you if you're fortunate enough to have had those moments in your life that 
were catalysts. There were pinpoint differences that happened. It was the people who cared enough, who trusted you enough, who believed in you enough to have that conversation with you. And this structure that we're going to go through doesn't just help you in delivering it. It also also helps you in the receiving of it. Yes. Either by creating the context of receiving criticism so that you can help make it, you can interpret it more constructively rather than it just being criticism or even to help the person providing you with that criticism, helping them with a framework to make it more constructive. I'm glad you said that because that was going to be one of my questions. You know, for those of us, well, not us maybe, for those people who may be listening, who maybe aren't very good at taking criticism, how can you help me? I mean, them. So this is good. And on the last part of the benefit on this, and I had a client who did this for the first time about 18 months ago, where I've been running on this, I've been providing this within organizations for best part of 20 years. And this is the the framework that I've got clients who will say more than any other work that I've done with them over the 20 years, this changed more things. Right. It changed the environment, the work and the culture, the relationships, their outlook on things more than anything else uh, because it was more sustainable. Um, a client of mine now out in LA, they out, they're a, a massive global organization outsourced a big part of their function as happens a lot. And what was happening was that their outsourced partner, one of the biggest in the world, wasn't delivering and had been delivered the, the, the cost savings and the promises and everything. And what he was able to do was to go to them and get beyond the whose fault is this yeah. because they were just getting defensive and to be able to then say, look, I'm going to have a constructive criticism conversation with you and you're entitled to have the same with me because this needs to perform better, and I believe that it can, but just finding who's to blame and who's at fault on this isn't going to change anything because we've tried that for 18 months. And this was so successful that they have now went from almost finding another partner on this to extending the relationship so much so that he's now going to their global conference to talk about constructive criticism because they're now looking at all their other clients and saying, is that the bit that's missing? So there's a massive impact that you can have on all sorts of relationships, and it's not too late with relationships that have maybe been in the same place for quite some time. Makes so much sense. It fits in so well with the collaboration topic. It really does. I mean, if anything, I do think that whilst you're saying feedback, and I think you're right, is feedback isn't the, isn't the same thing. Yeah, constructive criticism needs to get is a brand image done because this feels so you know, great. It's, you know, it almost feels like an Oprah moment, whereas criticism doesn't. Yeah, I, I get resistance to this all over the world. Yeah, I get resistance to this after I've done the work. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's changed everything. Can we still call it a considered opinion? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Well thought through feedback. <laughs> Can we... Yes, you can. If you really want to, if you want to take that sharp knife that's going to cut through everything and start driving performance with an egg whisk, yes, you can. Okay, you're right. Okay, I'm not going to think about that then. So there are seven golden rules to this. And the first one to start off with 
there's three parts to it. Constructive criticism is something that you should do quick, you should do it face-to-face, and you should do it in private. Okay. So quick is quickly after the event? Yes. It's not to fire at it at high speed. It's to be timely. You really don't want me to be saying, Warren, I've watched you do this for the last nine months, and now I've decided to say something about it. Yes. Now, you might not jump on it. I've only seen you do this once, and it was five minutes ago. But you want to make sure you're doing it quick. Yes. Quick is not the same as immediate, but it's quick. Got you. It's not hanging on to it for a long period of time. I will only wish you had pointed it out to me before. Yeah, it's got to be a relevant time frame. That makes sense. And, of course, for every yes. single certain thing, some things it should be done almost immediately, and other things can wait until a good, proper moment uh, comes out. That makes sense. So quick, first available opportunity. Yes. Face-to-face. Yes. How, in our new environment of of Zoom and, and video calls and, and telephone calls, would you sometimes delay the conversation until you could do it face-to-face? Or would you say this can this can work absolutely fine on on zoom or a telephone call as well yeah look the the whole point the nuances of this have become more poignant over this period of time the face-to-face element is is more that it's you're providing an environment where it can be two-way okay so it's to avoid writing to someone with the constructive criticism because that's a one-way process yeah you really want to have it face-to-face. Now, whether that's in Zoom or Teams or whatever platform you've got for video calls, whether it's a telephone call, it's two-way. Yeah. And I think how you talked about intent, if that was clear, that encourages that this is a space, this is a dialogue, you're allowed to talk. In fact, I want you to talk. And how you set it up with intent actually makes a lot of sense, is that would encourage you know, this isn't supposed to be one way. This isn't me, you know, throwing feelings at you and throwing my anger at you. Mm -hmm. You you would be going into this saying, this is designed to help us move to a better place. You're doing it for and with someone. Therefore, they need to be present. Yeah. So that's the element of the face-to-face, that it's a two-way, it's a present thing. Yes. Okay. And the private, that makes sense as this could be just part of a normal one-to-one coaching session that you would have. Not necessarily coaching, just your normal team sessions. Take it out of the team session. Take it out of the group session. You know, that's something to put to the side that you're going to deal with as soon as just the two of you in private. It's amazing how obvious that is, yet how, how often it's the case that criticisms are thrown out in a public format, you know, and thrown out in sort of general terms, you know, surely that person is going to know it was them that I meant to have this with. And typically the irony of that is if you've got 10 people and one of them you're pulling up for timekeeping and you do it in general terms with everybody, the one person who's not going to pick that up is that person who thinks, well, it can't mean me. He turned up late. He turned up late for the meeting. That's why. So it's, it's making sure that it's in private. In, pri- in private, that's that. It, there's a security element to it. Um, there's less emotion involved. You're, you're also reinforcing 
I'm doing this for you and with you. Yes. As opposed to I'm throwing this at you and that making an example of somebody, putting down a marker, letting everybody else know. I can understand at times in extreme situations, some people may choose to do that, but that is neither constructive and the criticism will be lost in the experience of it. I agree. I mean, you don't shame people into change. I mean, that's that's a simple. This feels like, again, you would do what you said at the beginning is, are you doing this for your own gratification because you're angry and it helps you let off steam or were you doing it to improve the situation? Yeah. I mean. Now, if, if, if you don't do it quick and you don't do it face-to-face and you don't do it in private, you've got other intentions. And yeah. those intentions may be valid, but they will not be constructive in your criticism. If you're going to make an example of someone, that, that someone is someone you believe that there's nothing better available from them. That's what you've almost you've already drawn the line there. That's that's almost a collateral damage. That is not something that's constructive. This is for the rest of the team to say this is what happens when your performance is there. You, you, you absolutely. So so if you do not provide constructive criticism, that's the message you're sending out to everybody. Yeah. Would this have to be formal? I mean, again, I mean, pre-lockdown. Is, would you, I mean, I remember I would have, rightly or wrongly, I'm just about to find out, some conversations over, you know, over a beer or over lunch with somebody because it felt it was that safer environment where you could talk openly about things. Well, it depends. And, and this is where you're going to have to work with the balance of the person involved. If your relationship is really informal, then you're probably going to have to bring a bit of formality in for it to get the right balance. But if your relationship is only formal, then bringing that bit of informality in will bring a bit of trust and confidence and certainty in it. So that's good. So it's actually to my my first reaction was thinking the other the way around. Those people you're quite formal with, you wouldn't, you know, you would do that in a normal formal setting. Those people you get on quite well with, you could easily do it over a, yeah, a beer one day, as long as there's only one. That makes sense. It brings a different dynamic to to it. This is this is serious, and for the formal one, you're allowing them to say, "I know this is a difficult." for you to open up i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to broaden the the communication channel okay okay that's number one and 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 it's an important conversation and important puts people in a different mindset to saying it's serious if we say this is a serious conversation the likelihood is there's a bit of defensiveness is going to come in or panic or confusion this is important and if you're doing it quick face-to-face and in private you're having an important conversation before it's got serious. If it's gotten to the point where it's genuinely serious, then you've not done it quick enough. It's a really great distinction between the two. I love that. Okay. So if you've done it quick face-to-face and in private, the second rule of constructive criticism is to agree the facts. An agreement is a two-way conversation. It's not stating facts. It's agreeing facts. Okay. Now, this allows you, if you're the person providing this constructive criticism, to not have to go and see, here's the evidence on behalf of the prosecution. 
you might not even have facts. You might just have an inclination. You might just have a gut feel. You might just have picked up on the energy in the room. You might just have seen someone's reaction to someone else. And intuitively you think there might be something there. So it allows you to go and agree the facts, the facts of what actually happened, as opposed to you going and stating evidence, because that's what you do to someone. Okay. So would this be them presenting your version of it and then asking them, is that how you're seeing it? Or would you ask them first how they were viewing the situation? The danger being is, I'm just thinking that if you ask them for their view of the situation and they're getting it really wrong, if you present your version of it, it you, you're almost getting into you know combat state. Yeah, you're creating conflict, yeah. But then the moment, if, if I present it first, then it's a leading conversation. So that would be quite difficult sometimes. Best you go first. This is a, you're, you're leading the conversation at this stage. And what you're saying is, I'm, I'm open to be challenged. You might not have been there. You might even have just heard this through a third party. Yeah. So it allows you that scope to not have to go and, and gather all your evidence before you can have that conversation. You can say, look, I heard that call didn't go too well. How did you find it? Yes. I heard there was some feedback on that call. Doesn't sound like you necessarily got to where you wanted to get to. So so talk me through how that went. Yeah. Okay. But you're agreeing the facts. It might be the facts as they see them, and it might not be the same as the facts that you've been told, but you're agreeing all the facts that are there. So if you can't agree on a version of events. So this is agreeing the facts as it happened and their opinion and your opinion of what you've heard. That doesn't mean to say there's a right or wrong. This is just what is the facts. It's agreeing all the facts. So it's a fact. So they can have a different version than, than me, but we now know what I think. We now know what you think. We can see what the difference is. That's absolutely fine. So we don't need to be aligned. We just need to see very clearly what each other's position yeah. is. Got it. Because okay. the fact is you see it one way and they might see it another and the fact is you might be acting in behalf of how someone else saw it. Yes. So it's just agreeing all the facts that are there. Get it. As, a, as opposed to defining what the truth is. This is facts rather than truth. And facts can be your own opinion, and that's fine because that's your facts and your truth as you see it. But So when we say agreeing the facts, again, you know, in my head, which that, that awful place where all these mistakes happen, in my head is where I was seeing that this was agreeing between the two of us. It's not. It's agreeing our own set of facts so clearly. So this is the context. This is the field that we're working in. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, that's clear. So it's a sort of painting of a picture so that you're getting that full picture. And the interpretation of that picture may be very different. But let's get the picture. Yeah, cool. And agreeing the facts takes you into the, the third of the rules. Rule number three is ask and listen. Okay. And really asking questions, but being present when you're asking those questions. If you find that you're in the situation here where you're presenting your thinking, it means you're not asking and listening, you're telling. And this is asking, and, and there's two ways to ask questions. And you've touched on these a little bit. You can ask questions to impress upon someone, yeah. or you can ask questions to be impressed by them. 
So if I if I ask you the question of what in the world made you think that that was in any way possibly a good idea, Warren, then I'm impressing upon you my opinion on that strategy that you either had or didn't have. Yes. But if I ask you the question, so how did you decide to approach it? I'm allowing you the opportunity to impress rather than being impressed upon. Yes, uh, this makes sense. And it's asking that question and then really listening, really listening. I mean, you get to step the, the rule number four, it's going to be really important that you were listening. Yeah. So asking the questions, and you're asking the questions so that you're getting a full picture of not just what happened, but what occurred to lead up to what then happened. Yeah. So if it's the call, it didn't go well. So what did you do to prepare? What was it you were aiming for? What did you anticipate? What did you think was going to go? Now, if the answer to those questions, I did nothing of that, then that's giving you a picture. Exactly. But ask and really listen. Again, then this goes back that what you sort of said is your starting position for all of this is if you're going into this with the right intent, then you are genuinely interested. What was going through your mind before this? And as you said, if they didn't prepare, then that's a one conversation. If they prepared their ass off and it didn't go well, then that's another conversation, isn't it? Yeah. And also allows you not to get caught out with being prejudiced because you've projected onto someone your assumption of where it went wrong or why it went in a certain place. Yeah. When I, when I run these team sessions on constructive criticism, you have to step in front of the content and take the risk so that you know, you're know you not hiding behind this and saying, well, there's seven rules and here but there. You have to step forward so that people know that you feel what they feel and the discomfort and the anxiety that comes with providing constructive criticism. So I will ask for someone who I can then, in front of everybody, so it breaks one of the rules of being in private, but just for the sake of demonstrating, constructive criticism and it's really really important because then you get to demonstrate these steps and agreeing the facts and asking and listening is really important so I, there, there is typically someone who will turn up late and therefore it's it's an area I can sort of say right I'm going to have this conversation because this person's turned up late but you wouldn't believe the complications in people's lives and all the things that can affect them turning up late. Yeah, no, you're right. And if you had just said, well, it's probably because they slept in or because the traffic was bad, then you're not asking, you're not agreeing facts and you're not asking and listening. You're just saying, you, you were late, you shouldn't be late, turn up on time, leave earlier. You know, and, and that's where you're leading it. Once you ask the questions and you really then find out the complexities that people go through, then it doesn't then get you to position where you say, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter. You can still go into the, well, what are you going to do about that? Yes, exactly. But you've got to ask and listen and not just project on the assumption, it's probably this. Yeah. And one of the things that is important about the ask and listen also is that that sometimes the more you say, I know it was because of this, particularly if you're right, the other person will go into denial or defence. And that's when you can move away from the whole what needs to be done into, into a smokescreen or something else. So ask and listen. Because when you go into rule number four, you're going to really, importantly, ask and listen. 
because number four is really the standout rule of constructive criticism. This is where you criticize the behavior, not the person. Mm -hmm. Because that then helps objectify the behavior rather than the person getting emotionally defensive because they feel personally criticized. Yeah. You know, you're the type of person who just turns up late. You're the type of person who doesn't think it's important. You're the type of person who disrespects everybody. That's very emotional. So if you've asked and listened, you can then pinpoint the behavior that does deserve to be criticized. Yeah. And once you've taken that behavior as a separate entity, it's really it's easier for that person to disown that behavior. And you see this a lot when you're giving, let's say, feedback. I don't know what the right word is now, but that when your children do something, it's not that they're bad or messy. You know, it, it's very much a situation is you did a messy thing, which was a surprise because I don't think of you as that person. You take the behavior away and it's easier for everyone to have a look at it on its own. It's a separate thing. It's not me. It's a separate thing. Gee, this is that same idea. It's, it's the objectification of something that allows you to be less emotional, less defensive, or less aggressive about it. It allows your intelligence to look at it objectively. Yeah, so it allows the person you're talking to, their intelligence to kick in because you've, you're not bypassing the emotion, but you're not engaging with their emotional response. So if, if I said to you, you know, you, you are, you're irresponsible because you're always late, it can be, you know, so many other areas of your life, you're always the person that everyone relies on you know why how is it that's three times a week you're always 15 minutes late and it's important you're criticizing that behavior and some behaviors are a little bit clearer cut to be objective so timekeeping things that are kind of tangible where it can be it takes a little bit more care is when they are more personal so it might be about attitude yeah. it might be about personality image, those things are, because they're a lot more closely related to that individual. You're right. And that's when you've really got to separate. And you do this in two ways. And one of the ways to be doing this is to trade on the, even the perception rather than, let's take arrogance, for instance. You know, if you say to someone it's about arrogance, that's a, that's a difficult thing for them not to take personally. And it's a subjective judgment on someone else's part. What someone thinks is arrogant, someone else thinks is just confidence. But where you move it to is the perception of, even the perception of arrogance. When you're doing things that allows that perception that could be perceived as arrogance, what is the risk? So one thing I used to use a lot on this is, when you do this, it makes me feel that this is what you're saying to me. And the idea was is that that would, so I wasn't saying you are arrogant or, or whatever. It's saying that's how it feels to me. Whether I'm right or wrong, I don't know. But I'm just saying to you is when you do this, like so to use the turning up late example, which is a nice, easy one. When you do this, it makes me feel that you, you've no interest in what we're trying to build here, or what we're trying to do here. Um, and that surprises me because so many other times when I see how you act, I do see somebody who... Mm -hmm. Now, that, that brings empathy and emotion 
the objectification of it is how other people might feel, how other people might see it. Because then what you're doing is you're then taking it away from just you and I and you're objectifying it into an audience. Because just because you would be okay with it wouldn't make it right. And just because you're not okay with it doesn't mean it's something that deserves to be criticized. Maybe that's just, maybe that's your stuff and not their stuff. The objectification of it has been able to say, so when you turn up, don't turn up on time, how do you think that could be perceived by everybody else? Or even one person in the room, how might they perceive that? What message might that send? Yeah. And even the perception, how might that then affect their attitude towards you? Yeah. So what you're doing is then pinpointing the behavior yeah. rather than the, the person themselves. And a lot of that at times comes down to two things, communication and context. If someone was going to be late, it's not so much just that they were late, it's that they didn't think to let anybody know. And the arrogance or whatever that people may be criticized for, a lot of that is because they never provided context. Even just to be saying, look, some of you might pick this up as arrogance. Please don't. Exactly. And therefore, the behavior that you can criticize is the lack of context provided. Because just because people have an opinion or people provide feedback does not necessarily make it itself valid for that person to be criticized. But what they can be criticized for is leaving themselves open to that opinion or feedback. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to get people saying, well, I don't care what other people think because they go defensive or they go on the front foot and say, well, they need to do something about that. I think it's a great way of, as you said, I mean, you're going to get through to ways they can help. And if they're not in a state where they're ready to hear it, then it doesn't matter how well you do this, isn't it? So, again, then the emotional management is we need to be engaging with their intelligence side. I mean, their emotion's going to be there and it's going to be lurking and it's going to say there's really good reasons to listen to this guy. It's going to be there. This isn't going to be comfortable for them, but we need to make it comfortable enough that their intelligence can be holding, you know, holding everything together, the situation together. Yeah. Okay. So once you've criticized the pinpoint of the behavior and criticized that and not the person, yeah. pinpoint the you can move on to rule number five, and this is where you move into the motivation of something. So you've now pinpointed the what, you're now going into the why. So this is about explaining why it matters. And this is about layers of an onion. You know, this is the this is very much about quantity rather than quality of all the reasons why it matters. So why it matters for them, why it matters for you, why it matters to the wider audience, why it matters in life, why it matters across the business, is many reasons why this matters. Yeah. The reason why most of us will operate on a suboptimal level on a behavior is because we didn't realize its real importance, why it really mattered. We just thought it was okay. We kind of knew that there's better, but it's okay. And one of these pivotal moments is when someone cares enough to say, for you, that isn't okay. You bet you're better than that. Now, given that people will be driven, and we'll cover this in other conversations, 
either more about their sense of service to self or sense of service to others. They will have both. So the, the why needs to be broad enough that you're saying, okay, this is why for you, this is why for me, this is why for everybody else, this is why for the future. So this is part of the, you know, there's a thousand reasons why you should do something, you'll do it. And some of these reasons are crazy small, and we touched on this in other chats, where, you know, it can be for you, it can be for your career, it can be for your status, it can be for your car parking spot, it can be for your family, for your mortgage, for how your parents are going to think, what your team, you know, the keeping your status on the Christmas planning committee. I mean, it, you know, you're going to surprise yourself what's important to this person as well. But there will be eventually a, a layering on of dangers that they should keep away from and opportunities that they could, that this is going to move them closer to. It is about creating loads of different ones and not just one big scary one. You will lose your job if you don't do this which is scary, it's if you're to do that and what would this mean and what would be the downsides. That's fair enough. But it's also all of those good things that you do already, add this onto it and, and you're going to get closer to that, 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 that future. And we talked about that, that, sort of, yeah. that danger, comfort zone and, and opportunity line before. I think when you're layering it on, sometimes it seems easy, and I know I'm guilty of this, is sometimes, especially with the wrong person in front of me, is focusing on all the things they need to be moving away from and not adding enough stuff that they should be moving towards. And other times I find myself only talking to somebody about the opportunities, the opportunities. And actually they should, maybe they need that healthy dose of fear, but you know, wariness about what's coming up behind them if they don't do the right. Well, you know, dissatisfaction is, um, is, is the engine of yes. change. If you're not dissatisfied enough, you'll just learn to live with it. And if you're really wanting that performance to change, then there needs to be that element of dissatisfaction. But there also needs to be a, that element of vision. Yes. Of what fantastic would look like, what amazing would look like, what the ideal outcome would look like. And that's the layers of the why. And what you will find is if that back in step four, you've criticised a behaviour that even if that individual doesn't feel is worthy of criticism, once you've got into step five, now they'll get it. Even if they feel that the, the behaviour that's been criticised is not something that they feel deserves criticism, once they've got into step five of explaining why it matters, whether you agree with it or not, you now start to see the real value in it. And that's where the motivation is. Any less than seven reasons why people will not do anything. They'll post-rationalise away the first seven reasons. The first seven reasons will not get them over the first bump in the road. As soon as it gets tough, they'll chuck it. They'll get back to the, where they were before. So you're really looking for quantity of reasons why. That's where the motivation comes in. You know, And motivation is a distance between two points, Warren, just so that... to, to to reinforce what you're saying, it's the difference between two points. If people feel the reason for doing something means that it just puts me in a better place than where I am just now, then that's 50% of the motivation. And the difference between those two points is the size of the motivation. If, however, you're all also saying, so these are all things that could happen, but look, if you don't, you're now the person that after this conversation still hasn't done anything. So you're now the person who's aware, who knows and understands 
and is still choosing not to do this. You're no longer the person that could say, I didn't know. You're then the person who does know and is deciding not to do anything about it. So it puts you in a different position than you were before this started. So now you've got double the size of the motivation. Some people think if they do something, it moves them a little bit forward. And if they don't do it, they stay where they are. Now, if you don't do it, you slap back. Yeah. So explaining why it matters, really important. And if you're not sure whether that person is more driven by themselves or by others or to a cause, cover enough of the basics that they have enough reasons to grab onto. And if you're not sure, ask them, what's the difference this would make? No, you're dead on right. It's, it's, this is the seven plus reasons. It sounds difficult when the first time you hear it, but when you do this, you'll easily get 20 or 30 good enough reasons. And some of them are crazy small, mm-hmm. but they they all add. They all add up, as you say, into mm-hmm. that onion skin. Okay. And, and that moves you on to then rule number six. And rule number six, again, is about agreeing, but it's agreeing a remedy. But it's their remedy, not yours. And the big thing to avoid during this time is saying, do you know what I think you should do? If I was you, this is what I would do. Now, there might be a time for offering a bit of support, but it's after they've come up with their remedy. Okay. Otherwise, what you'll get is agreement with your remedy as opposed to commitment to their own. So what could you do then? What sort of what what could make this situation better? So they understand that there's a really good reason to do this because of the steps uh, of five. They've got a motivation. So the more motivated they are, the more creative and stronger their plan of action will be. So this is when you help them define a plan of action, but they need to own that plan of action. It can't be your idea you're giving to them. Okay. Yeah, and and this isn't you mapping it out for them and saying, do you commit to that? This is about you starting off by saying, look, this is yours, so what are you going to do about it? Because when this happens again, and it will happen again, what are you going to do? How are you going to get ahead of this? What are you going to do differently next time? Yes. What would be enough? And if you feel that they are not with a remedy that's, that's sufficient, encourage them that sounds fantastic that sounds really that sounds on the money if you don't feel it's sufficient then you can support by saying well what if you didn't have that amount of time what if you had to do more than that what if you couldn't count on that particularly if the remedy is about everybody else doing something different and not that individual so this is asking them questions so they ask themselves better questions to come up with a better plan for themselves so you're saying if you look at it and go that plans for pretty flimsy, you help them pad it out. Understand that that isn't enough. How can they pad it out themselves? Okay. And there is a te- there is a situation that will occur where people will say, just tell me what you're doing, I'll do it, Warren. And it's avoiding taking the bait on that. That's your opportunity to reinforce, look, this is yours. I can support you, but this is yours. This is you coming up with what you think you're going to make work, what's going to work for you. Yeah. Otherwise, the risk is you say, look, this is what you need to do. And then they come back and say, tried that, didn't work. What else you got, Warren? So agreeing a remedy, really important and can take a little bit of time. And it may require them stepping away from the conversation and coming back. 
that definitely sounds like something which if they really take it seriously and if it depending on how big the topic is you would say you know go away think about it come back and and this is where uh, even having a mentor for them could help they could go and ask for some, some support however as they come back with their own plan they may have taken inputs from other people but not from you, because obviously, as you said, you're the person who's going to keep them honest to that plan. They can, can get input from that plan, but it's their plan at the end. It hasn't got anyone else's name on it. It's their plan, which they commit to, as you said. Okay. Yeah. And, and and you and I have covered this in other conversations, the difference between agreement and commitment. Yeah. Is agreement is about words. Commitment's about pictures. Yes. So if you want to know whether they're committed to something or not, you just need to ask questions to find out if they've got pictures in their mind. Yeah. So what bits of this are you going to find difficult? Who else do you need to speak to? Who else could you take advice from? That's a great question, that one, which I think, you know, you'll have to write down is which bits of this are you going to find difficult? I think it's such a good one because we all know when we all agree to sign up to something, there are bits we're looking forward to more than other bits. And, and you're right, if you are clear and honest about them, and you know that you're still, you've got a plan to deal with them. So my ones are always early in the morning. Yeah, get them out of the way. Other people like the things they love early in the morning because it sets them up for the day. But, you know, we all have our own different ways. Okay. Okay. Agreeing the remedy with them and then working with them to make it as full and as comprehensive as possible, but working with them, not giving it to them. Clear. Asking them to create this, this is, and you're supporting them in creating theirs, and and that's where you get something that's going to be valid. Okay. And look, you might not be 100% convinced that what they've come up with is a fail-safe remedy, but it might improve the situation, and you might say, well, that that's that's has head in the right direction. And I think that's again going back to your intent. It isn't to create perfect being perfect six million dollar man this is to improve somebody so they are a step closer to being the majors and then the last rule is to end on a compliment and what i tend to get people pushing back on this ending on a compliment is uh you know it's like having a very unpleasant sandwich where we're trying to be nice at the beginning and nice at the very end, but the filling is hard to swallow. It's pretty much how we were told to sell, you know, back in yeah. the day, 25 years ago, take the ice out of price and, yeah, the price, the, 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 the bad news sandwich, as you, as you very politely said it. Yeah. Yeah. This is not what ending a compliment's about. This is about reaffirming the reason and the context of why you're having the conversation. Right. It's not sugarcoating. It's not trying to provide balance. I've been kind of aggressive to you. Now I'm going to be a bit nice. No, this is ending on a compliment. This is reinforcing their strengths, reinforcing why you've had the conversation with them, reinforcing why you expect a more positive outcome and improved performance. And this is, you know, if you're going to criticize on a behavioral level, then you should compliment on a behavioral level. It's not going through the whole constructive criticism and then saying, but by the way, you've got lovely eyes. It's it's doing it on a behavioral yeah. level. I love that. I think for me, listening to this, me and the seven points are great and I do like a nice flow like this. But I just think it all starts, you sort of say, is your starting position is, you know, is so much of a 
part of your success that if you walk in there with that intent, a compliment actually doesn't feel like you're sugarcoated. It's a reminder of why you sat down with them in the first place. It's because you do think this person has got amazing potential. And the reason you wanted this conversation with them is because you do see at the moment they're, they're a 7 out of 10 and you want to move them closer to a 10 out of 10. And this is a way that you hope that you're going to do it with them. But you're, you still, yeah, this is a really positive conversation. And I think that intent that you stuck, that you talked about at the start makes it feel this isn't a sugar coating. It's a genuine yeah. part of the context that you discussed at the start. And, and it's not just that you want to move them from a seven to 10. You're confident in their ability to get to an eight or nine or 10. Yes. Uh, because it's about them. And the ending on a compliment, I just, the guidance I offer to people on this is, Walk into the room, walk into the conversation, go on to the call with the compliment already there. Yeah. Sometimes it's difficult to find when you're in there if you haven't already brought it in. And it, and it helps you then know this is where I'm going to get to. I know this is how the call is going to end. I know the, how this conversation is going to end. And therefore, it will come into my context at the beginning because I know I'm going to reinforce it at the end. Yeah. And it's not just that I'm giving positive intent at the end and hoping they buy it, you're given that positive uh, intent at the beginning and you're going to reinforce it at the end. Yes, I think it's great. I think that intent works really well. I like this. This is good. People will deal with what you have said and they will go over why it was said, the circumstances it led to. What will linger longest is how it was done. Yes. How they were made to feel will linger longest. You can give people praise for a whole number of wonderful reasons. But if you do it in a way where they feel embarrassed and feel small and feel commoditized through it, it'll not be a good experience and that will linger longest with it. It'll take away all the good. You can also have a very difficult conversation for a whole number of reasons that people wish didn't happen. But if they were made to feel valuable, cared for, considered, trusted, valued, that will all linger longest. That makes loads of sense. And again, it just comes back to why you're doing this. And again, and if you're doing it for the right reasons, they will feel that. But they, this is good. Steam, we're going to wrap it up. This is really good. I love, I love how you have pulled back criticism from being, yeah, it's actually, it's the rightful place. It is a dark, it's a dangerous weapon. It's not a dangerous weapon. It's a sharp instrument, which can be used for good and for bad. It's like a scalpel. I love it. This is great. If all you've got is a hammer, you'll see everything as a nail. You definitely want a scalpel in surgery. This is cool. Thank you very much. Um, talk to you. Talk to you later on. See you later. Bye bye. <laughs>how to do it better. And also, I think one of the things that we try to do in the conversations, and I think Stephen does so well, is explain a little bit of the background about why we do this, why these frameworks are important. The idea being is that this will help it stick a little bit more. I think it helps. Anyway, as always, thank you to Stephen for his, his, his wise words and his generosity. If there's anything else you'd like to know, get in contact with us. Also, do check out coachpro.online, Stephen's platform. Loads of good stuff there. If you don't have access to it, just drop us a note and um, 
we'll make sure you get 30 days to play with it. Okay, that's it for us this week. Uh, we'll talk again next week. Thanks again for your time. Bye.